Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Happy Monday, everyone. Happy Labor Day. Thank you for joining me for this week's teaching. I'm Krista Bontrager. Thanks for joining me for this week's teaching. I am a theologian and public apologist in Christian Christian thoughts and ideas. So a couple of months ago, I did a teaching about what to look for in a church. And uh, this is an especially important teaching for you to check out if you want to go back and, and take a listen to it, especially if you're transitioning churches or wondering whether you should transition to a different situation. And at the end of that teaching, I said that the most important thing to look for in a church is godly elders, godly leadership. Now, why did I say that? Well, that is exactly what I'm going to be unpacking for the next two weeks of teachings is why did I say that godly elders are the most important foundation for a solid church and what you ought to be looking for when you are looking for a church. Godly leadership is in high demand, but very sparse these days. And yet elders, leaders, these are the God-appointed foundation for a vibrant, healthy local church. When a church blows up, it is not because something suddenly went wrong. The blow up, the split, the disintegration of a local church is actually the result of hundreds and e possibly even thousands of small decisions that the leaders have made over a long period of time. And this is especially true if that leadership team most of the members of it at least have a mindset of not rocking the boat, just going along to get along, not calling out maybe a lead pastor who's a little bit out of pocket, prideful, arrogant. When the leaders do not follow the injunctions of scripture, this is why we have sick churches and unhealthy churches, okay? Godly, theologically informed leadership can help a church navigate through a season of difficulty, season of transition. It can help a church navigate through the choppy waters of a very divisive election year or through a pastoral transition. On the other hand, a group of passive, cowardly leaders who will not have the hard conversations that are needed they won't recognize real problems. They won't hold people accountable. That group of leaders will not be able to preserve a church through hard times. And that church more than likely will splinter and break. Godly leadership is a vital component to help even us as regular Christians to be able to navigate the choppy reality of living in a fallen world. And we are really going to get into that point in part two of this series. 
But for today, in today's teaching, I'm going to explain what the Bible has to say about local church leadership. And this is part of an ongoing teaching series that I've been doing about church issues throughout this year, 2023, on again, off again. I've been kind of threading through a lot of different topics this year. I've been handling the content a little bit differently rather than just having like a five-part teaching series on one topic. I've kind of spread out three or four topics throughout the year to add some variety. And I'd love to hear your feedback about how I've been doing that this year a little differently than I've done in the past. But we're going to talk about leaders, elders, deacons, who they are, and how they ought to function in order for a church to remain healthy and faithful. I know it's not a very sexy topic, but if you're wondering why you are feeling so disconnected, maybe from your local church, or why you or have struggled with a church in the past, this teaching of part one today and part two next week might give you some insight as to how that's happened for you, what has happened. It might help draw the roadmap for the past, help you understand the past, as well as understand where you want to go in the future. I would like to ask a favor. If you are watching this stream right now, or if you are listening to the podcast, and if you enjoy my content, I'm going to ask a favor of you. I don't, I don't often ask for a lot, but I am going to ask you for a favor. I need you to go on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and write a review. I love it that my, my podcast is so well rated on Apple. You know, I got like a 4.9 rating. That's awesome. But what I really need is some people to go take one minute of their time. I I spend a lot of hours putting these teachings together and I love doing it. And I am so grateful for our donors who donate to this ministry so that I can be deployed doing these teachings and researching full time. But I need something from you today. I need you to take one minute to go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, go to Amazon, wherever you stream your podcast, and please write a review of the podcast, how it has helped you grow in your faith, because that will help push the podcast out to more people and help people discover this content. Will you do that for me today? I'd really appreciate it. All right, let's get into the teaching. Now, a few weeks ago, I also did a teaching called What is the Church? And we just touched a little bit on Uh, The big picture, I was starting to unfold like the definition of the church, universal church versus local church. And I want to go back to a key slide. And I've asked Bob to put it in the queue, to put it up on the screen here. And we talked in that teaching. And Laura, if you're there, maybe you could put a link to that previous teaching on what is the church in the chat. But um, this slide here of identity, functions, and forms. Hopefully this slide will jog your memory a little bit, but we talked a lot on that teaching of what is the church about identity, because our definition of church begins with this column right here of identity and who we are, that we are God's household and we are his family. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're saints. We're justified, living stones, citizens of heaven, all of these descriptors that the New Testament has for us as God's people. 
This is what it means to be the church. The church, first and foremost, is our identity, okay? Now, functions. Functions are what we do when we as God's people come together. What it is that we do. We engage in the public worship of God. We have baptisms, the Lord's Supper, the public reading of the scriptures. Um, we have elders and deacons. We have church discipline. These are two bullet points we're going to get into today. Discipling the saints. That's going to be in part two of this series. We're going to talk a lot about that. Collecting money for the needy. Okay. These are some of our functions as prescribed by the New Testament. Okay. Then we get to forms. Forms are like, what language do we worship in? Our music styles, preferences, the type of building we meet in, sermon props. Some pastors have very elaborate sermon props, okay? Unfortunately, in the American context, we are so affluent with our churches that we often make decisions about what church to attend based first and foremost on the forms, Usually worship. What's the worship style? That's usually the biggest thing. We, we might add like kid ministries in there, okay? These are forms. What I'm calling us to is to pay more attention to this functions column. And in particular, the ground of the local church at its, at, at its foremost foundation is us as citizens of heaven, as living stones as our identity. And then what are the pillars of that? What is it that holds up the local church? I think that begins with the elders, the leadership, and all of that. So that's what we're going to dive into in this teaching and next week's teaching. Now, when we think about the American context of the local church, okay, Usually what pops in our mind is what I'm going to call the American model. This is what we might call the personality-driven local church. We've got a, a guy up there on the platform. He tells good stories. He's a compelling speaker. He gives sermons that sort of sound like a TED Talk. It's a personality-driven business model, senior pastor model. He's the one up there kind of running the show. And this is the model of many, many local churches in the American context. And unfortunately, I'm just going to put it out there as a controversial point, but we often export this model to other countries when we go on mission trips. We take the American model, which I would say is not the new model of the New Testament, which we are going to get into is distinctly an America model. In this model also, we see the pastor functioning as a CEO. We see him as kind of the top of the food chain. And we see the staff as administrators, so the ones doing the day-to-day -day functioning of the ministry, the congregation as loyal customers and visitors as potential buyers. And again, I am purposefully using business type language here, because I do think that the American model for the church is a business model. We have taken the secular business model 
and brought it into many of our local churches. And I think that this is common and not biblical. And so part of why I'm doing this series is I want to highlight for you and get into the details of the New Testament to help us understand and think about what does the Bible actually have to say about how we are to organize our local churches. Now, with that said, there are a few competing models. We're going to look at some of their, we're going to focus the conversation on some of their similarities, but I do want to have transparency that there are competing models for how local church leadership should be organized. The first model is what I'm going to call the magisterial model. And this is what we think of when we think of Roman Catholic, Orthodox, Episcopalian or Anglicans. This is the magisterial model. And we hear often about three offices in the magisterial model. We hear the term bishop, priest, and deacon. Okay. And the bishop is kind of over a region with a lot of priests underneath him. And then um, in local parishes, there would also be deacons serving those local parishes. And so this is what I'm calling, again, the magisterial model. Now, Presbyterians and Methodists use a little bit different model, has some similarities to the magisterial model. It's also a little bit different. Their local churches are usually governed by a regional authority. They usually still have kind of some sort of national general assembly with national accountability and authority. But the Presbyterians and the Methodists I would say are different than the magisterial model. Some similarities um, still have, you know, they're, they're usually more elder run, plurality of leadership and that sort of thing. And then we have the Baptist model. The Baptist model is the local congregation. They're really self-governing. Usually the Baptists, they might have a national affiliation, but they usually don't go to national meetings and have national policies Generally, the one of the distinctive features of the Baptist model is that it's a local congregation that's self-governing, okay? And there's little, if any, national oversight. So if we think about the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, even though it's a large conglomeration of Baptist churches, they're just cooperating together for Sunday school curriculum and missions sending both um in North America and overseas, but technically each of the churches in the Southern Baptist Convention is its own self-governing entity. Now, a final model is the uh, very free and loose model of the Quakers and the Brethren. And these, in this structure, there's often little to no formal leadership structure. There's just kind of this Reliance on the Holy Spirit's more impromptu, and I'm speaking historically now, these denominations do tend to be a bit more progressive these days, but um, I'm just speaking here in general about their leadership structures. So those are the basic four models. Again, it was the, the magisterial model, the Presbyterian Methodist model, the Baptist kind of independent model, and then the Quakers and Brethren, which is very little leadership structure. 
So here is kind of my definition of a summary of how I see things based on my best understanding as of today of what scripture teaches. And that is that local churches should be led by a plurality of elders served by a body of deacons and be accountable to the congregation as they glorify God by carrying out his mission in their community and beyond. Now, you might say it's sort of a blend of the Presbyterian and the Baptist model. That's my best understanding of scripture, not to slam on my friends in the more magisterial model. I understand what they're doing. I see their project. I have respect for that. I can see some pros and cons there. But this is a summary of my point of view as best as I understand the scriptural teaching as of right now. Okay, let's get into some questions here. Let's think about what is an elder? This is really, first, we've got to define our terms. That is something that I'm always calling us to define our terms. I've used this word elder a few times. Let's talk about it. Now, we're going to look at some scriptures to help us define our terms. We're not just going to make up definitions based on our opinion. We're going to go look at the Bible. But basically, what we have to understand is that there's three words in Greek that we often use for the word elder. There's the word bishop or overseer, which is the Greek word episkopos. That word may sound a little familiar to you. It's where we get the word episcopalian. This is connected to the magisterial model that we just looked at. Elder, which is pres- presbyteros, presbyteros, yes in Greek, and then shepherd or pastor, which is poimen. Okay, so these are the three terms that are used in the New Testament to denote leaders in a local church. The question is, is are these all talking about the same position or are these three separate positions? Okay, so that's why there's a little question mark there on the slide. Three titles for the same position, question mark, bishop or overseer, elder, or shepherd and pastor. Okay, let's look at a few scriptural passages. We're going to start off with Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and take a deep dive into the word episkopos, sometimes translated as overseer in the New Testament. So it says in Acts 20, 28, and we're going to see the word overseers. Watch out for yourselves for all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has placed you overseers. Now, do you see that word right underneath overseers, that Greek word episkopos? So this is the word overseers. To shepherd, poimino. Okay, so here we have in the same context, an overseer with shepherds. That's going to be a critical piece of data that we're going to come back to. Shepherd the house of God. Okay, we're going to scroll down to Philippians 1.1. And what we notice here is very interesting, is we see Paul writing to the church in Philippi, and he uses two different titles. He uses the word overseers or episkopos and deacons. So it seems like the leadership structure in this church at Philippi is one of elders or 
um, I'm sorry, overseers and deacons. Okay, we're going to scroll down to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. All right, a trust, this is a trustworthy saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, episcope, okay? So here we have overseers. This is a good work. It is a good thing. All right, let's scroll down one more time to Titus 1.7. For it is necessary for an overseer or episcopos to be above reproach. All right, so these are the key uses of this word overseer or episcopos. And again, we're asking the question, are these words elder, overseer, and shepherd the same thing? Or are they three different offices? Now, when we get to the second term of presbyteros, usually translated as elder into English, we have several mentions of this in the Gospels, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to start out in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now, this is a little bit longer thing, so I'm not going to read it all. But there in verse 2, you say, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders, presbyteros? And this word presbyteros might sound familiar to you. It's where we get the word presbyterian. And that's because the presbyterian model is one of a plurality of elders. Okay, Bob's going to scroll down to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to see another instance of this word. Um, that Jesus, let's see, um, Jesus must go to Jerusalem, verse 21, and suffer many things from the elders, the presbyteros, okay? And in Matthew 26, we see this, the ruling priests and the elders, presbyteros, okay? So this is a term that is not unique to Christianity. The idea of elders, presbyteros, was present in Judaism. And these were the leaders, the local leaders of local synagogues. So when we get to the book of Acts, what's interesting, and we won't look at all of these passages, but Bob's going to put the slide up here that, that lists all of the passages here. So we have all of these references in Acts and Timothy and James and Peter and Titus, where the word presbyteros is used. So this is a term that comes into the New Testament church. And let's look quickly at a couple of these passages. Uh, let's start off with Acts 14. And we see here that they appointed elders for them in every church, presbyteros. These were the people who governed the local churches. Acts 15, 1 to 4. Let's scroll down. They came up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders, presbyteros, to debate the issue about what, how do Gentiles come into the church. So if we were to go through all of these passages, we would see that this term presbyteros or elders comes into Christianity as the ruling group um, for these local churches. Okay, let's keep moving here and look at the word shepherding or shepherd, poimen. Now, what's interesting about this term is we see this term being used to describe Jesus several times in the book of Matthew and John and Peter. 
that Jesus was known as a shepherd, as the great shepherd, okay? And so it is the same word that then we're going to skip ahead, Bob, to the New Testament church. We're going to see the shepherd um, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, 28, and Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 5, 1 to 3, Acts 20, 28. He says, watch out for yourselves for all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has placed you, overseers, episcopos, to shepherd the church of God. So here we here again, we have these two words next to each other. Scroll down. Let's look at the next one, Ephesians 4. This one is key. It says that the Holy Spirit has appointed some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, poimen, and teachers. Okay, so this office of pastor, shepherd, is this the same as overseers, presbyteros, as elders? This is the question that we must answer. Well, to summarize the matter, I think these are three titles for the same position. I think that Presbyteros is the same thing as Episcopos, is the same thing as Poimen, or in English, we could say the Presbyter, the Elder, the Overseer, the Bishop, the Pastor, the Shepherd. These are all the same things. Based on my study of the New Testament, it seems that these terms are used interchangeably. If we were to look, we looked at Acts 20, 28 a couple of times. Um, 1 Peter 5, verses 1 and 2, we see the same thing, uh, that the terms are used interchangeably. So the elders, presbyteros, who are among you, I exhort, I am a fellow elder, presbyteros, that they will shepherd the flock of God, poimen, which is among you, serving you as episcopos, overseers. I think these are all synonyms for the same office. I've got a couple more examples here on the next slide. First Timothy chapter three and Titus chapter one. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of episcopos, he desires a noble task. It's almost the exact same phrasing in Titus 1 where it says appoint elders presbyteros in every town. I think that these are all the same title. Now the magisterial model breaks out the bishops from the priests. Um, I personally am of the persuasion that it's all the same office, but you can do your own Bible study on that. Where there is more agreement, I think, is that the elders, whatever you want to call them, the overseers, the pastors, are the successors to the 12 apostles. Um, we see in the ministry of Jesus at the end of John chapter 20, he gives the 12 the Holy Spirit. And this is before Pentecost. He breathes on them so that they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is just the 11 at that point, because Judas is no longer one of them. And that is at the end of John chapter 20. One more little issue that we have to think about is apostolic succession versus creedal succession. 
in the magisterial streams, we see that bishops represent a direct, uninterrupted line of continuity from the first apostles to Jesus Christ. So if you ask a bishop who is in the Orthodox stream or the Roman Catholic stream or in some of the more high church Anglican streams, they will be able to tell you their apostolic succession. They can kind of trace that family tree all the way back to the apostles. It is the job of the bishop in the magisterial stream to preserve orthodoxy and to preserve those core doctrines. Now, those of us who are more in the Baptist stream of things or the Presbyterian stream, Methodist stream, we believe in something called creedal succession, okay, where elders represent the elders, the leadership, the pastors represent a direct uninterrupted line of continuity of faithful doctrine from the first apostles until now. So we, as more in these other non-magisterial streams, we also believe in succession, but we call it creedal succession, where we are trying to preserve a continuity between what Jesus and the apostles taught and that this is one of the key jobs and functions of the elders and pastors in the local church is to preserve sound doctrine and preserve that uninterrupted line of continuity of faithful doctrine from the first apostles until now. Okay, so those are some foundational issues. So now we're going to get into the next section of the teaching, which is who is qualified to be an elder. Now, going back for a minute to the American model. The American model often selects leadership based on personality or men of influence. Often what happens in the American model is that we pick men in the church who are affluent. Maybe they have started a successful business. Maybe they're doctors or lawyers or people who are prominent in the community. And so we pick these men of influence to be on our elder group and our elder team. But is that actually the biblical way of going about it? And I say, no, this is not how we do it. So if we're thinking about the overseer, the episkopos from 1 Timothy chapter 3, these are his qualifications. He is to be above reproach, a man of one woman clear-minded, dignified, able to teach sound doctrine, manages his household, has submissive or obedient children, hospitable, gracious, self-control. And then on the other side of the slide, I have all the nots, not quarrelsome, not violent, not addicted to alcohol, not a recent convert, and not greedy. So it's both the positive affirmations of what he must be as well as the negatives of what he cannot be, all right? So if we're going to think about godly leadership, we should notice a couple of things here. One is that having sound doctrine doesn't necessarily make someone qualified to be a leader in God's household. It is a, it is a necessary requirement, but it is not a sufficient requirement, okay? In 
we have to have coupled with the ability to teach sound doctrine godly character qualities so it's not just orthodoxy he must also have orthopraxy all right so he has to have a life that reflects godliness and these are some of those requirements all right if we go to elders or the presbyteros in titus chapter one which again i think these are synonyms Notice we have a lot of the same characteristics, above reproach, man of one woman, has Christian children, hospitable, good, self-controlled, just, holy, and disciplined. And again, on the other side of the column there, not a chronic drunk, not rebellious, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, not violent, not greedy. These traits on the right side of the slide, this is how you know somebody is acting like a pagan that they're a non-Christian, is if they have these problems in a chronic, habitual, unrepentant sort of a way, okay? So these are the qualifications. If we were to continue, uh, in 1 Peter chapter 5 also has a similar passage. It says, a shepherd must be eager to serve, does not pursue dishonest gain. That kind of echoes the issue of greed in Paul's instructions. He's an example of godly living. That's an umbrella for a lot of the terms we saw in Titus and Timothy and not lording over the church. Okay, so these are the qualifications to be a leader in God's household. Notice, I want you to notice something here. God's instructions are not pick prominent members of the community. Pick successful business people. I don't know if any of you have ever read the book of Philemon. The book of Philemon is about a slave named Onesimus. And somehow Philemon and Onesimus get separated from each other. Okay. And Paul meets Onesimus, the slave, and he's sending him back to Philemon. But he says, I want you to receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ first, okay? What's interesting to me about Onesimus is that according to church tradition, Onesimus, this former slave, went on to become a bishop. I love that because it reminds us by example that in God's household, it's not about your material wealth that makes you a qualified candidate to be an elder, to be an overseer in God's household. No, it's about your ability to teach sound doctrine and that you have godly character. How often do local churches miss godly men because we are focused on finding successful men according to the American definition? In God's household, the elder team could be a gardener, a local businessman, a road worker, you know, a blue collar person, a a bank teller, or a, a lawyer. It can be all of those professions because what does God put first is the, is God sees us according to our heart. So if we're going to pick godly elders, if we're going to do the local church God's way, 
then we must take off our worldly glasses and stop looking for men who, according to the world's ideas, are qualified and look for men who are qualified according to God's standards. Okay, let's press on and answer the question, what does an elder do? What is his job description? Okay, so we're going to look at Acts chapter 6. So what we notice here is that there is a difference between what we're going to see in a moment of what the deacons do and what elders do. What we see here is that the widows needed food. The 12 called together all of the um, leaders. And it says, it is not right for us to neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. So one of the first things that elders are called to do is to preach the word of God. Okay. So they, they select out people who, according to tradition, become the first elders who are the ones that serve. So they, but the elders themselves, who are the successors to the apostles, are devoted to prayer and preaching of the word. Let's scroll down and keep going here. So another thing that leaders in the local church do is that they help to watch over the souls of those who are in their care. This is kind of the more of the shepherding angle. So they're devoted to the word of God, to prayer, to watching over our souls, because they are going to give an account for those who are under their care. Ephesians 4, here it talks about, again, the shepherding component, pastors, teachers. Here we have 1 Timothy 1.9 is that they are to exhort with healthy doctrine and be able to rebuke those who oppose sound doctrine. So these are some of the job qualifications of an elder. They have to have a devotion to the word, prayer, taking care of the souls of people, preaching the word. They've got to be able to rebuke sound or uh, rebuke unsound doctrine, teach sound doctrine. These are the critical components. If we were to scroll down to Matthew 18, we would see that they're also in charge of what we call today, we call church discipline. They are in charge of arbitrating truth of a matter, that they are part of the system that God has set up, that when people have disputes, they can't resolve their disputes by themselves. They go to the elders. And we see that in Matthew chapter 18. If the person still refuses to repent, you go tell it to the church. Well, who are they telling exactly in the church? They're telling the elders. And it says, whatever you bind on heaven, bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Two of you agree about anything on earth. It will be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name. I am there among them. What Jesus is saying there is that the truth of a matter is established through witnesses. And this is a critical function of how the elders operate in the local church, that they are in charge of arbitrating what is true. So when there's a dispute between people who are brothers in Christ, part of what the elders do is if the dispute can't be resolved, they are part of the two or three who are going to establish truth. And God basically says, and I'm going to agree with them on whatever the truth of the matter is that they establish. 
Okay, so just a summary slide here of everything we've seen is what are the duties of elders? Prayer, studying, teaching the word, oversight, direction of God's people, able to teach, rebuke sound doctrine, oversight of the church's financial matters. That's another thing, adjudicating disputes. So these are our leaders, our shepherds, our teachers. They are also equippers. This is what elders are to do. Now, a question that often comes up is, can a woman be an elder? All right, so if you notice up until now, I've been saying all of the language, all my pronouns have been he, 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 him, right? So this leads naturally to the question is, can a woman be an elder? Okay, let's look at the two critical passages in Titus 1, 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. So what do we see here? We see that both of these passages talk about the that elders are the man of one woman. Okay, and this word gine in Greek can also be translated wife. So it's that he's that the elder is the husband of one wife is usually how it's translated. And that he manages his household well having submissive children or believing children. It's a man. It doesn't say, you know, that there's a the that that it's um one spouse. It's very um clear and specific that this is a husband-wife relationship. And so I would say that the qualification to be an elder is that he must be a man. And I think that this is buttressed by the reality that we see that the 12 apostles were the original foundation for elders. Remember, they were the ones that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to first in John chapter 20. And he's, and so the historical precedent has always been that no, elders, whatever you want to call them, bishops, priests, they are all men. Okay. The 12 apostles were men. They're all men. So my position according to scripture and according to church history is that it's been men that have been in that position or that office. Now, some people are going to take issue with this and they're going to want to like point to other passages with all due respect to them. Personally, I don't think it, those arguments work. And um, I think that the clear case of elders from the beginning of the of the church has been that of men. Okay. Another question is this issue of the plurality of elders. This is another issue. This is where the American model goes so wrong. This is what I call the senior pastor model. The American model is that of one guy out front, okay? He's the leader. He's the one who does all the preaching or the lion's share of it, you know, and, and we can build satellite campuses and just put up a screen because his preaching is so compelling. His storytelling is so compelling. We have the senior pastor model. But this is not what we see in scripture. What we see in scripture is that of a plurality of elders. Okay. We see this both Old Testament and New Testament. 
In the Old Testament, we see the elders of Israel. Uh, Moses appointed these leaders to adjudicate issues in Numbers chapter 11. We see this, this, this pattern coming in and being the foundation of the early church. This is the New Testament pattern. It's the ancient pattern that there is a plurality of leadership. We even see this in the early church in the Didache, which is an early church manual from about 135 AD. And it talks about a plurality of leadership. Also, it says, therefore, appoint for yourselves bishops and deacons, what we call overseers. Remember, we're saying that these are all the same thing. Bishops and deacons worthy of the Lord. Meek men, meek, not lovers of money. Okay. And it refers us to first Timothy chapter three and so on. But what we see here is again, it's a plurality. It's not just this one man show of a great storyteller up front who is doing all of the heavy lifting of the preaching. No, a healthy local church has a plurality of leaders. And these are not leaders that are just leaders in name only. These are leaders of equal authority and equal say, and that they are ruling the church together. So hopefully I've given you enough information that you can begin to see the compare and contrast between the American model, this kind of personality-driven business model, senior pastor model. This does not square with historic Christianity with the New Testament data that we have seen. And I think that what's what's difficult is that Americans are so entrenched in this model that they just assume it must be biblical. But there is a better way. And I, my theory is that why we have so many unhealthy churches today is because we have adopted this American model and we replicate the American model and we put up screens with pastors who just give great storytelling and sermons, but we are not really shepherding God's people the way that he has designed. And we're going to get into the details of that next week with my friend, Jeremy Bannister. He's going to be coming on and talking to us about this shepherding component and really unpacking that in detail. Um, so you won't want to miss that discussion. It's really just going to pick up right where we left off here. He's going to share his wisdom about how elders are to properly function in the day-to-day -day of the local church. You aren't going to want to miss this powerful and practical application of the teaching we've done today. And in the meantime, I do want to recommend, I've recommended this book before for further study. Um, my One of my mentors, Dr. Walt Russell, his book, Sustainable Church, he really gets into the whole plurality of leadership and where the American model goes so wrong and how it makes for sick sheep. If we want to understand what's wrong with our churches today, it's because we are not following God's instructions when it comes to choosing and selecting qualified leadership who are shepherding God's people properly. Please share this teaching with a friend, especially your pastor, I hope you have found it helpful. Good day and God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. 
You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All the Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.